0: Thank the Lord for that truth. I'm glad to see you this morning. Take your Bibles if you would and turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and let's stand together uh, for the reading of the Word of God. And it's been a wonderful morning of music and I've enjoyed the announcements and prayer and looking forward to this time in God's Word as well. I hope you're having a great day and I wanna just mention a couple things to you. Uh, Brother Getch mentioned about the uh, picking of the pumpkins and, uh, and he mentioned a little bit of the background of that. And uh, want to mention that uh, we are thankful that uh, a couple of local businessmen, farmers, uh, have just what they literally did, they planted 30 acres of property and and said, we want this to be for Lancaster Baptist Church and your ministries. And so we always purchase pumpkins for the bus kids. So uh, you're going to pick some pumpkins for the bus kids. I don't know where they're going to have you put those, but uh, that'll be a great blessing. And there's a little story behind it even. Uh, last year, they grew on that property hemp. Hemp is not marijuana, but it kind of smells like it. And it started to kind of blow over here, uh, the smell. And so I called one of them and I said, uh, I said, look, uh, that smell is coming right over on our property and we don't appreciate it and uh, what can we do about it? And the farmer, it's interesting because uh, we led him to the Lord right here on this property when he was 13 years old. And he came over here, he said, Pastor, I am so sorry. He said, uh, that was just kind of an experimental crop and and literally the next day, he tilled it under. Two days later, he brought in and out burgers over for all the elementary children in the school. And uh, then this year he said, I'll just plant it for the church. We'll just plant pumpkins uh, so that they can give them to children around the Antelope Valley. So saying all that, if those farmers show up at all tomorrow and you see one of them and get a chance to just say thank you for their friendship, both of the men that own that property give to the Student Assistance Fund uh, here at West Coast Baptist College. And so these are relationships that we have uh, really developed, I think, uh, the one farmer uh, was saved here on this property in 1992 when we were just buying the property. And uh, these, are re- these are relationships we've developed over the decades and so we wanna always nurture those. I wanna mention to you a couple of things. Uh, tonight I'll be preaching at Los Angeles Baptist Church. It's a church that we uh, started, I don't know, 25 years ago maybe, and uh, it was one of our deacons. Now let me tell you how it started. We had a group of men at West Coast Baptist College, and I just said, would any of you be interested in doing your door knocking on Saturdays down in the Los Angeles area? We'll pick an area, we'll have a staff member go with you. And just to see, really, a mission field. Los Angeles has about five million people, two independent Baptist churches. Now just let that sink in. There's 300 independent Baptist churches, for example, in Knoxville, Tennessee that one city, which has 300,000 people. One Baptist church for every 1,000 people. So just 5.2 million people, two independent Baptist churches. So I just said that in chapel and I said, if you're interested in being a part of that soul winning ministry, let me know. And Brother Getch, you'll recall William Miracle. He was just a student who just took leadership. He started getting other students to go. He got a bus, we got tracks. They just started knocking on doors. I started telling the church about it. They were seeing people saved. And one night, one of our deacons, a small man from El Salvador, he came up to me, and he said, Pastor, I believe if you would mentor me that God wants me to, to plant that church there. And I was kinda like taken aback. He had no formal education. He, he was a very successful businessman. In fact, I found out later that the year prior, he had given $100,000 in tithes and offerings. And when I found that out, I was pretty sure he shouldn't go plant a church somewhere. Uh, When you men are pastoring, you'll understand that statement better. (laughs) But uh, long story short, uh, my wife began to take his wife and teach her about Christian education and being a pastor's wife. I began to disciple him over time. And uh, that church now is a strong soul winning church right in the heart of Los Angeles. So I say that for two reasons. Number one, if you would like to go down and see that church tonight, see Dr. Rasmussen after service and he'll uh, be glad to help you with either a van or a bus depending on how many of you are interested in going. And number two, If we have some upperclassmen who are interested in making a difference in an inner city, uh, then I want to just strongly encourage you to see Dr. Gatch. We'll start putting some plans together. We have planned to do something like that over the last few years. Last year, COVID stopped it, but uh, there's so many areas. And I think for some of you, it would just be a great experience uh, to be able to uh, minister at the street level and uh, seeing people saved. And baptize. We're doing a great job. I want to thank all of you for just uh, the way that you're uh, just fitting right in this year and uh, having an open heart. Thank you for that. One other thing I want to mention uh, to you uh, with respect to the spiritual leadership conference: two things. Uh, on Friday chapel, brother uh, uh, brother uh, Nathan Burt is going to have in his possession the names and addresses of every delegate coming to the spiritual leadership conference. They'll be on three by five cards, and uh, we're excited, we have a great crowd. We have over 300 churches represented, and uh, that would include their pastors, and then that would include many others. If you have a a friend or uh, your home pastor, somebody who's able to attend, shoot them a text and tell them we'd love to have them come. But uh, I'm gonna be asking you to just take a minute as a student and just write a quick note. It might be a deacon you're writing, it might be a pastor, might be a music director, and just say, my name is uh, John Jones, I'm a sophomore here at West Coast, and I just got your name and I'm praying for you as you prepare for the Spiritual Leadership Conference, something like that, say a word of prayer for them. Uh, You'll be given an envelope and a piece of paper, and I really would appreciate your help with that as we want to encourage people that are coming out, and I think that would be an encouragement to a lot of pastors to get that. One of the things I'm going to be uh, emphasizing and talking about at the Spiritual Leadership Conference is something I'm calling California for Christ, California for Christ. Now, I believe I have a very unselfish spirit when it comes to our college. Uh, we just encourage you guys to go wherever the Lord's leading you. Uh, if we have students come from Australia or Canada, we, we want to see you go back to the country that you're from and uh, really do a great work for the Lord. We try to really uh, think in those terms. Some of you are from areas, like I mentioned a moment ago, that are fairly well-churched. And, uh, and so we, cons- we ask you to consider mission fields. We ask you to consider the fields, white unto harvest. How many of you believe that every one of us should be willing to go wherever God tells us to go? And so I'm gonna be casting out a vision for California. We're starting a new outreach of our church. It's called California for Christ. There are 75 cities in California with over 100,000 people. There are 25 of those cities with not one independent Baptist church. There are 140 cities with 50,000, and over half of those do not have an independent Baptist church. And a lot of them have no Baptist church. And so we're putting together a website, loading up a lot of those uh, statistics. Uh, Brother Blim in my class, the practical theology class, are helping me with some of that. I've had secretaries working on it all summer long. And we're gonna emphasize three things. We're gonna emphasize, number one, church planting. And I'm gonna begin raising funds uh, and establishing a fund for those who will plant a church in California and we want to take some of you that might be interested like Brother Choi did to plant a church in California and be able to support you uh, heavily as you get involved with that the second aspect is going to, going to be soul-winning training a lot of churches in California have lost their soul-winning zeal we're going to be sending Brother Furso and some others that we're contacting uh, to go to local churches and just do two-day soul-winning clinics and then the third thing we're doing is putting together an army of lay people who will watch for religious liberty issues bills that are being passed in Sacramento that would hinder our freedom of speech and so we're going to be asking for volunteers to help us with that as well and so this is something that you should watch for some of you might want to fill out the card when it comes out just be as a student interested receiving the emails and so forth I think you'd be very interested in that in that we do have an opportunity in the city of Hemet California for, for those of you that are uh, wanting to pastor or plant a church, this is a rare opportunity. It would uh, require that you are an upperclassman with a good GPA and testimony, and uh, someone that would, uh, would be interested in being mentored for this, perhaps someone that's married or close to being married. Uh, but we have a piece of property. It's about three acres of property, if I remember correctly. I visited the property with Brother Hobbs a few years ago. There's an elderly gentleman who owns the property and would like to see a church built on the property. And uh, he has, he's willing uh, at my direction, and if I recommend someone to him, to give $700,000 toward the first building, which would establish the first small building. So property in a building. Uh, Hemet is along the 215 corridor. This property is a few miles off the freeway. It's just, it's not right in a neighborhood. It's more of an area of like two and three acre parcels, sort of like you'd see in Lake Los Angeles or something, but it's a good potential. And uh, so if you are called to preach, if you have a vision uh, to plant a church, and uh, if you can, put your Pac-Man down long enough to think about it, uh, you might be interested in something like that. So these are amazing opportunities, and I wanna encourage you guys to really think about these things and plan to be a part. All right, Acts chapter 17, and I'd like to speak this morning on the subject declaring the truth in the midst of an unbelieving culture. Acts 17, verse 16. And Brother Gatch, should I, what time should I be done, about 10? 10, all right, great. Acts 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and said, and some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods." because he preached unto them Jesus and the Resurrection. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here today with these students. We pray that you would bless our time in chapel now, help us to learn from the Apostle Paul about declaring the Gospel in a wicked culture. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, our son Larry was battling with cancer And uh, that certainly was a a very difficult trial in our family's life, and thank the Lord that Larry came through his surgeries and uh, the Lord has healed him and allowed him to continue serving in the ministry. But during that time, uh, it was all-consuming for our family and it was certainly a challenge and a great trial for a young married couple. And I remember on one occasion saying to Larry, in fact, Dr. David Gibbs had suggested that I maybe ask him if there's something he'd like to do after his chemotherapy. And so I leaned over his bed and I said, Larry, is there anything someday after this is over that you would like to do someplace you'd like to go see uh, something you'd like to experience? And he looked up at me and without hesitation and I can see it like yesterday, of course he had no hair from the chemo and his body was very frail and, but his, his blue eyes flickered and he looked at me and he said, yeah, dad, Ashley and I would really like to go to Athens. And I remember thinking to myself, I was, I was thinking more like Disneyland or something, you know? And he said, Athens. And of course, when your son's that sick and he makes a request like that, you just, you'd move anything you could move to try to make that possible. And we began to work on that. And, and he'd been studying Acts 17. And he'd developed an interest in reaching a culture that was superstitious and pagan. And he wanted to see how God had done a great work there in Athens. And I'll never forget taking him there and going up onto the Areopagus and preaching there and and uh, taking pictures as we look up to the false temples and and getting a little sense of this particular city. Athens was the city where Paul fled to after his life was threatened at Thessalonica. It was the intellectual capital of the Mediterranean world. It was a place that was central uh, for those that would come Philosophically, to discuss different philosophies, the focal point was the Acropolis. Uh, you would look up at this Acropolis, and there you would see uh, the Parthenon, which was a god house for all of the false gods of the city. Demonic idolatry literally lined the skyline of this city, Athens, and uh, it was there, under the sovereign plan of God, that Paul the apostle walked in to a city and noticed all of this paganism all around him sometimes today in our culture we see it as well we see people calling right wrong and wrong right g campbell morgan wrote the very conjunction of names is arresting athens a shrine of paganism and paul the most faithful incarnation of the christian passion imagine paul a Bible believing, gospel preaching apostle walking into this pagan city. And imagine yourself walking into Beijing, walking into Los Angeles, walking into Seattle, and there a soul winning Baptist walking into a pagan city. Paul's fundamental concern as he went to Athens. Was not necessarily cultural understanding or contextualization. And uh, he was not necessarily focused on all of their culture as much as he was focused on getting the gospel out. In fact, Paul was fearlessly countercultural. Everything that he would teach them would draw them away from the Parthenon and away from these pagan gods. He was there not to blend in, but he was there to call them out. You see, a church, once it is planted, is a called-out assembly of believers, and that was his purpose, was to see a church that would come out and be separate under the Lord. Well, some of you perhaps think about things like this. What would it be like to go to a foreign field, to a pagan land? What would it be like to go to a place even like Scotland, which today has turned its back on the Lord? and What would it be like to go to China or Taiwan? What would it be like to go to Los Angeles? And there are certain things about it, no doubt, that would be of interest to us. Maybe the food, maybe the architecture, maybe the beautiful parks. But looking past all of that, God called people, look to the souls of men, and they become burdened that these people do not know Jesus Christ. I want you to see the spirit of the man of God in verse 16 the Bible says now while Paul waited for them at Athens notice this his spirit was stirred in him let's say this together his spirit was his spirit was stirred in him his heart was stirred the city not only aroused his interest but it stirred his emotion it it provoked him sometimes we understand the scriptures say mine eye hath affected mine heart and his heart was stirred within him Uh, men who worship everything worship nothing and he saw these people worshiping everything he saw this culture giving credence to every kind of a god and he realized that they were going nowhere that they would be spending eternity in hell unless they heard the name of jesus christ lamentation 351 mine eye hath affected mine heart And this is why we say things like, visit Los Angeles, or uh, this is why we say things like, take a missions trip, because some of you, uh, whether you realize it or not, can become so inward in your thinking about yourself and how your life is going and and, uh, how your dating relationship is going and how all of this is going. But Jesus said, look unto the fields, for they are white, already unto harvest. Paul's heart was stirred. And notice also, his heart was pressed. This man had a heart that was pressed, The Bible says in Acts 18 and 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in his spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This speaks of his ministry. At Corinth, he was a man that felt a burden. So many people today, even in ministry, it's like a job, nine to five. They go do their job, they go home. But Paul was not that kind of a man. It got on him, this sense of people needing the Lord. He couldn't escape it. First Corinthians 9 and 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Listen to this. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. We need some God-called men in this Bible college who would say, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I don't want to think about living if I can't preach the gospel. I want God to use me in winning a soul to Christ and preaching the gospel. Hey, it's fine if you enjoy electronics and websites. It's fine if you want to be a youth pastor and have some great games. It's fine uh, to enjoy uh, maybe the the ministry context and being around church. But somebody's got to preach the gospel. And Paul, when he walked into that city, he wasn't interested in just taking pictures for his website. His heart was stirred because he knew those people needed Christ. Is there a man like that at West Coast Baptist College? Is there someone here that sees past all the fluff and all the Christian fluff and really gets down to the basic bottom line, which is taking the gospel to a lost and dying world? The spirit of a man of God is stirred. Sometimes it's heavy There's a burden that you feel when you look across a state like California And you see the rampant crime or you see the homelessness or you you see people who are just pushing constant abortion. You see people that are lost in the street, people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the man of God is a spirit that must be stirred up. And sometimes we need to get alone with the Lord and just pray, Lord, increase my burden. Help me to care about people. I've seen for 25 years, I've seen Bible college students come to West Coast and they're just kind of checking things out. They're checking out California. They get a job at Michael's Warehouse or someplace like that and before you know it their burden is gone They're listening to the same music as the unsaved guy. They're telling the same jokes as the unsaved guy They're sitting in the back of chapel half asleep and uh, not listening to the rules of the college not caring about soul winning Just kind of skimping through. Hey, we're not gonna win America with students like that We must have some men and women who know how to get stirred up for God that's why we have chapel. That's why I'm glad you're going to experience the spiritual leadership conference. That's why we have a missions conference in November. Why? To keep our hearts stirred up for the things of God. The spirit of the man of God. He was stirred in his spirit. But notice, secondly, the strategy of the man of God. How was this work going to be accomplished? Paul said in Romans 1:14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I want you to notice, first of all, the proclamation of his ministry. The proclamation of his ministry. Verse 17 tells us, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him. Here we see that he reasoned with these people. The word disputed means to converse or to discuss as in an exhortation. He was able to debate with them reasonably. He knew what he believed. Now one of the reasons we have Bible College is so that you can take Bible doctrine, so that you can take apologetics, so that you can understand the truths of God's Word, so that you can show somebody in the Bible where life begins. You can show somebody in the Bible how salvation is experienced. You can show somebody in the Bible how their salvation is secure in Jesus Christ or show them where there is a heaven or a hell. I enjoyed my theology classes in college, and and they helped me, and they helped me even to this day. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asketh a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and in fear. God says, I want you to be ready. And, and, And West Coast Baptist College, we are here to get you ready so that you can give an answer to the Athens that awaits you, so that you can tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ it is, it is insufficient for youth groups and adult Sunday school classes to focus on entertainment and simple devotional thoughts. We must train this generation for spiritual battle. It's not enough to have a radical youth group activity. It's not enough unless the gospel's being preached, unless the truth is being taught. It's not about entertainment anymore. This country is going to hell in a handbasket, and we need some young men and young women who know what the Bible says and know how to reason with their generation concerning the truth of the word of god he reasoned and he also preached notice in verse 18 and certain philosophers and epicureans and stoics encountered him and some said what will this babbler say and others other some he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them jesus and the resurrection now let me have your attention for just a moment Are you willing to have people say that you are a bit strange? Now, we have the woke crowd today, we have the liberal crowd, we have, of course, the unsaved crowd. And you take a man of God and put him on fire and let him stand for anything, just almost anything, and that man of God, people will say, he's a setter forth of strange things. He's a strange man. What was so strange about Paul? He preached the gospel. And if you're afraid of the opinions of men, you're going to have trouble in Athens because they're going to think you're strange. If you go to Los Angeles saying that Jesus is the only way, if you go to Los Angeles saying that that marriage is the plan of God for people who cohabitate, if you go to Los Angeles saying that life begins in the womb, if, if you endeavor to engage this culture, they're going to say, you know, he puts out some strange stuff. Are you okay with that? Are you going to be okay with it when they get on your Facebook page and curse you or direct message you and call you every four-letter word in the book, maybe daily, simply because you're straight and you're not for the gay movement? Being in the ministry in 2021 is not a playground. It's a battlefield. And if you can't handle someone saying, hey, you need to get up or get your hair cut or whatever the case might be, I really worry that you can handle it in Athens. We need men and women of God who can stand in the evil day. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God, the proclamation of his ministry. Notice the location of his ministry. The Bible tells us in verse 17, He gathered at the synagogue. Here he would reason with Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. There's not a record of a response there, but he always went there first. He went to the synagogue. Notice, secondly, he went to the market. Notice this in verse 17, commonly known as the Agora. Uh, here there was some interest, but they said he was a setter forth of strange gods. <laughs> and then he went to the Areopagus in verses 18 and 19, and here he stirs up enough interest that people show uh, some interest the Bible says uh, in verse number 19 they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest now the Stoics in this text were pantheists; they believed that nature was their God the Epicureans were atheists they wanted to simply enjoy the pleasures of life without any conviction of their sin and there are plenty of those in America today what i want you to learn from ephesus or rather from athens is that the culture at athens was not much unlike the culture in america today it was an ungodly pleasure-seeking culture and the apostle paul went right into the middle of it he didn't stay at home and write some articles though there's a place for websites there's a place for using technology but he went where the people were He wanted to be in the middle of the people so that he could preach Jesus to the people. And so it was that his strategy is very clearly seen. He went to the places where this discussion could be made. He went uh, on the, the top of this large hill, the Areopagus, and there he gathered crowds around him. I was there a few years ago with a group from our church, and I stood up on that same hill, and I began to preach from this same text. And I began to preach to our group of 60, and then that was 200, and then it was 300. And I I continued preaching. I felt, as long as I'm gonna stand there, I'm just gonna keep preaching. <laughs> one guy had one of these little drones, he kept dropping it right in on me and filming me, and, and folks were gathering around, and some of the folks from our uh, our group began to pass out tracks. But it was very, very historical in the sense that the parthenon was right above us people were gathering around us this this place in fact when you walk up onto this rocky hill uh they actually have a sign that says these would be the steps the apostle paul would have traversed on his way to this hill this was where they had these kinds of discussions and paul went where the people were why do we go soul winning Why do we visit mission fields? Why why do we go to Los Angeles? Why do we try to get out amongst people? Because people need the Lord. We see the spirit of the man of God. We see the strategy of the man of God. Let's take a minute and look at the sermon of the man of God. The sermon of the man of God. Now, notice, first of all, as he speaks in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said... Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. I had a fellow the other day who sent me an email. He said, I just don't think any religious person should say anything bad about any other religion. Now, you're going to have to focus on that. What if that other religion is leading them to hell? Am I to never say anything bad about Roman Catholicism? Do you know the sacraments don't save? Do you know that only the blood of Jesus Christ saves? I'm not talking about being mean, I'm not talking about every sermon is against somebody. But the very first thing he does is to say, you're too superstitious with all these false religions. He presents that there is one true God. He shows them the presence of one true God. And here we see that he speaks to the illusion of so many religions, superstition. I would imagine that Athens, if they had printing presses back then, would have had the printing press print up some of those bumper stickers that say, "coexist." How many have ever seen that bumper sticker? It's basically saying, hey, why don't you put Jesus and Mohammed and the Zoroastrians and the Wiccans, why don't we just put them all at the same level? By the way, the reason we can't do that is because there is a name that is above every name and that name is Jesus Christ. But that's what the world wants you to do. They're glad to discuss spirituality. They're glad to discuss religion. But Paul says there's too much superstition here. You're missing the fact that there is a name that is above every single name. And so there's this illusion as he speaks to them. Uh, He speaks to them of the identity of the one true God. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is Lord of heavens and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Here he's very quick to say this God that made, let's say that together God. Look at. Students, here at West Coast Baptist College, we believe that your life has a purpose. We believe that God made you. We don't believe that you're here by accident. We don't believe that you somehow uh, came here through evolution. We know what they teach at USC. They teach that billions and billions and billions of years ago, there was this uh, uh, explosion in outer space. And somehow this one-celled amoeba uh, landed millions of years later in, uh, in the ocean. And then millions and millions of years later, it turned into a fish. And then somehow that fish propped up onto a beach one day. Somehow it grew some legs. Somehow it got up in a tree millions of years later it was a monkey swinging from tree to tree millions and millions of years later it fell out of the tree hit its head and became a professor at USC we know that's what they teach the Big Bang Theory my friend it takes more faith to believe in the Big Bang Theory than it does in the beginning God created Paul begins and I want you to see his theological arguments here I want you to understand that he begins with creation he says hey you're not here by accident This is not uh, some, uh, some situation where we just worship whatever God because they're all about the same. He begins to help them understand that God has revealed himself. Verse 25, Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He says, look, it's the Lord that gives us this life. In the beginning, God created. He's not a distant God. He's not divorced from his creation. He's not in man-made temples. He's not locked in creation. He is a great and powerful God. And he begins to share with them some of the evidences of that. He gives them the external evidence of creation. You see this here in verses 24 and 25. He shares with them in verse 26 concerning the creative power of God. Psalm 19 and verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his argument, uh, his handiwork. He shows them here uh, what's called the teleological argument. A plan requires a planner. He's telling them if there's such a beautiful universe, then there had to have been someone who planned this universe. He's reminding them that life is not an accident. He that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? And so it is, the presence of the true God. This is what Paul is teaching at Athens that there is a true God. He's a God of order. He's a God who planned your existence. He's a God who created this world. We're not here by accident. God placed us here with a purpose. How many of you understand that the world around us, the Athens around us needs to know hey your life is not an accident. Look if you're here by accident go ahead and tattoo your entire body. Put metal in your face. Go ahead and have sexual relations with 50, 100 people. If you're just here by accident, if you're just a monkey go ahead and live like one but if God put you here and God has a plan for your life you better wake up to the fact that his son Jesus is the way and the truth and the life this is what Paul was telling them God had a plan for their life the the presence of the true God and he speaks here of the power of the true God he speaks of his power in creation he says of Jesus that he is the Lord of heaven and earth You see, we've spent a generation teaching kids in the public schools that they came from monkeys and we're shocked that they act like it. We're going to have David Barton speak in our college in a few weeks and he's the founder of a ministry called Wall Builders and he's gonna share with you some statistics about America and America's educational system and, and how it has been so dumbed down to help people to believe that they literally have no purpose in this life. Henry Morris, the Christian uh, scientist, said concerning evolution, he often mentioned the second law of thermodynamics. One of the most well-established principles in all of science states that the natural tendency is for things to go from more ordered to a less ordered state. Noted atheist Isaac Asimov acknowledged that as far as we know, all changes are in the direction of increasing entropy. Of increasing this order, of increasing randomness, of running down, yet incredibly evolutionists argue, precisely the opposite has happened. You see, the fact is that the world is moving from order to disorder. God created a world of order. Colossians 1 and 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And by the way, he is Lord over his creation. Acts seventeen twenty five: Neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. By the way, from God's perspective, there's one bloodline on this planet earth, and it is Adam's bloodline. There's a lot of race baiting in America today. A lot of people trying to get blacks and whites mad at each other, blacks and Hispanics mad at each other, and uh, Asians and blacks, and all these different things. Let me tell you something. Aren't you glad you're saved and that we are of one bloodline, the line of Jesus Christ? The world reflects Adam's bloodline but when you accept christ as your savior you are born again and we have a tremendous heritage in christ and so it says that the lord god created all of these nations he is the sovereign life giver he is over history and the the governor of the universe notice verse 26 and he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation what a tremendous blessing he shares with us that there is the presence of one true God. That this God is a God of order who placed us all in this world. And then he tells them about the provision of this true God. Not only the presence and the power, but the provision. Notice this in verse 30. The Bible says, And the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Here we see that the answer is given, that Christ is the answer. Here is a message for repentance. Here is the message for Los Angeles, Manila, and Beijing. And the message is this. Turn from your paganism. Turn from your polytheism. Turn from your atheism and trust Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I do not personally believe someone has to say I repent in order to get saved but I do believe their heart needs to be repentant about their sin. I do believe they need to turn exclusively to Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're not going around asking people just to add Jesus to their collection, put a bumper sticker on with the sign of the fish. We're not asking people just to say a prayer like they've said other prayers. We're asking people today in this generation to turn turn, turn away from your polytheism and trust jesus christ as your savior don't get so quick in having someone say a prayer that you're not trying to ascertain do they understand that it's jesus only that can save them and this is the provision of god acts 20 21 says it this way testifying both to the jews and also to the greeks repentance toward god and faith toward our lord jesus christ This was Paul's message. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say that together. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you were saved when you were 10 and 12. How many of you were saved around junior age? Let me see where you are. You didn't have to turn necessarily from your polytheism. You didn't have uh, maybe a pagan life in that way. But you turned to Christ. You knew that you were a sinner. And cities like Athens and Los Angeles, they need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see him as the Savior, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us are saved, it is the power of God. So we see the Apostle Paul comes into this city, a pagan city. He walks into that city. He wasn't struck simply by the traffic or the marketeers or the architecture of the Parthenon. The reason he got stirred up It's because he saw people without direction, people without hope, people without Jesus. How does the story end? Look at verse 34, if you would. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Would you read that with me now that you found it? Verse 34, ready to begin. Howbeit certain men claved unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Aeropagite, are- and a woman of Demarius and others with him. You know, when you go to a city like Athens or Lancaster, there are some people who say, he's, a, he's putting forth strange gods. That's a weird church over there at Lancaster Baptist. Those young boys wear ties. Those girls, they they don't look like the girls of this world. That preacher sometimes raises his voice over there. They run those buses. There are people who say things like that and worse. But there were some people who claved to Paul. They said, thank you, Paul, for coming. Thank you for getting our eyes off of the God houses. Thank you for telling us about the one true God. Can I tell you that sometimes being a pastor, you can be one of the most hated men in the city and one of the most loved men in the city, too. Oh, I thank God for his love, but I'm telling you, there are some men like Jack Harper, whose funeral we had a few days ago, who would sometimes put their arms around me and they would cleave. You know why they got saved in this church? They were grateful. Some of you guys, if you would go to some of these cities that we've been mentioning and someday preach and someday see some people saved, you'll find there's great joy in seeing a congregation develop. There's, you, you, you'll, you'll be so glad that you went. It'll be worth the deputation. It'll be worth the hardship. It'll be worth living in the small apartment. It will be worth the criticism. When one soul comes to Christ, you'll say, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. They clave unto him. William Carey was a poor cobbler in England. His father was an Anglican minister. He joined, William Carey joined the Baptist church later. Carey became passionate about preaching the gospel. I've been to the church where he preached his first sermon, only England. It was so bad, they asked him to never preach again. (laughs) It must have been terrible. But when the members of the church said that to him, the pastor of the church put his arm around him and said, William, don't give up. We'll try it again later. And he began to preach and he began to preach and God began to bless him. Finally, the day came that he went to be ordained of the Baptist church. And so it was he gave his testimony to the ordination council and they said, young man, sit down. He had shared his message about missions, about India, Young man, sit down, they said. When God is pleased to convert the heathen world, he'll do it without your help or ours. They had no missionary passion. They had no desire to help in India. My wife and I were over in London several years ago. We went to the Regents Park College at Oxford. It's the Baptist College. It's somewhat liberal now, but they still have the archives there of the old Baptist churches, the missionaries. They have many of the letters of Charles Spurgeon. And we were given the reports from William Carey. Sometimes he would write missionary letters and would not have seen anybody saved. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't always easy. In fact, he was there for seven years without any converts at first. His wife became insane. His son Peter died. His other son became an alcoholic. He was criticized by other missionaries. After seven years, he had someone saved. After 17 years, he had translated the scriptures into 30 languages. After 20 years, thousands and thousands were saved, and dozens of churches were sprouting up. After 30 years, he established the Serampur Bible College, which still stands in India today. William Carey is known for this statement, and I want you to write it down. Here's his most famous statement. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things for God. Attempt great things for God. God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Miracle was 19 years old when he left West Coast Baptist College to go down to Los Angeles, just believing that God could do something. Tonight, I'll preach in a church that a student had the vision for. William later went on to China where he established three different independent Baptist churches that are still functioning under close scrutiny today. Listen, you can believe today that if God calls you to Athens, God can equip you and God can use you. If you would be willing to suffer, if you would be willing to stand, if you would be willing to speak for God, he's looking to use you in Athens.